Loving God, as we do hear those passages, we pray that through your spirit working in our hearts and our minds that we would be listeners. We would hear and respond in ways which are pleasing and honouring to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. About a month ago, our treasurer here at St Matthew's, who happens to be in our congregation, said he wanted to come and have a chat with me about our finances as a parish. When a rector has a request to hear from a treasurer about the finances, we usually have some idea of what is coming. Uh, as it happens, the treasurer also grabbed me on the way into church this morning and gave me an update on that. I say that by way of a disclaimer, is that that is not why these passages are before us this morning. There are messages that we will hear and in coming weeks, but the uh, readings between now and through until Advent are taken from what's known as the Common Nectionary. That is to say, the major uh, denominations around the world follow a common lectionary, a set reading, uh, a cycle of readings um, for each year. And uh, this year the focus has been on Luke's Gospel. So the readings that we have are readings that the uh, uh, Uniting Church and the Anglican Church, the Roman Catholic Church and others right around the world are reading at the same time. It just so happens that when we follow the readings of Jesus, especially in Luke's Gospel, Jesus has a lot to say about our attitudes towards money. And a lot of it can be summarised of the foolishness of just living for now and ignoring the future. So this is, in God's providence, a very timely reminder of that background. But I want to hear the passages in their own right. I want to uh, have the passage from Luke 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, something in the background of our thinking, although we will come back to it a little bit later. But to focus on um, 1 Timothy 6, which has also been chosen to supplement, to provide some further reflection on this theme. And here we have um, Paul speaking in very uh, candid but also passionate terms about the danger of the love of money, which becomes or has the potential to be a deadly snare. Now, when I have a passage before us of this nature, um, when I sign, sit with a passage for a week and reflect on how it speaks to me personally and how it might speak to us as a church, there is a, uh, an easy way to preach this passage and then there is a more challenging way to preach this passage. And I'm going to give you both. I'll start with the easy way. The easy way is to shape an us and them narrative or framework around how we hear these words. Because it is not hard to look out into our wider Western culture and to see exemplars of those who have uh, embraced the view that greed is good, what makes our economy work. There is that classic line. Oh, I'll come back to it in a minute, sorry. Wait for that line. Staying with the, uh, the realities that we do come out of a place 
where we do not seriously know what poverty looks like in the main in our culture. The, uh, the Credit Suisse Global Wealth Report 2022, and just to let you know that um, this is not bedside reading. Uh, this is not something that I have readily available so I can trot these figures out. Um, this is a, the Wealth Report is what um, uh, I went to to find out where do we sit in, in global standings in terms of wealth within Australia. So this Credit Suisse Global Wealth Report um, tells us, and I was actually, I knew something of the figures, but I was actually stunned. The most recent figures, um, based on 2021 up-to-date analysis of global household wealth, found that Australia occupies the first position globally in medium wealth per adult as measured by households. Now, medium wealth is a statistical term I can never quite get my head around. Um, it's not exactly the same as average, but it does mean that because we have a substantial wealthy middle class that we have available to us in Australia a range of comforts and provisions and resources and support networks that are totally exceptional. Now, having said that, of course, in our own community, the gap, the divide between the rich and the poor, those who have uh, some financial security and provision and uh, all that goes with it, and those who don't, is a significant divide. Those who struggle with cost of living rises, those who will be looking at the, the challenge of increasing mortgage payments, those who look at the challenge of rental markets and the cost of affordable living, the number of growing... Um, of those who are homeless in our community are of significant concern. Fiona and I could tell you that the stories that we heard in the northern parts of Adelaide are very different to the types of stories we hear in our own location. So it's not a one-size-fits-all, it's not a, a clean suite, but generally in Australia there is a, a support network and there's provisions and there are resources and avenues to go that's almost unparalleled. In fact, even when it comes to the average adult household, as an average, we come at about number four in the world after um, some of the other recognised economies. So these are passages in which we hear in a very different way from those who uh, have no idea what it is to have such available wealth. So against that backdrop... At one stage in the 1980s, 1990s and the 2000s, there was quite a, uh, a culture behind greed is good, this famous quote Michael Douglas, the actor, used in the character of Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. Greed, for the lack of a better word, is good, he said, because it drives the economy, it makes us competitive, it makes us have a thirst for trying to, uh, to continue to grow. I suspect that confidence isn't nearly so strong after the global financial crisis in 2008 and nor it is as confident going into recognising that significant things can have an impact and is not as assured. But I'm also pretty confident that we would disown that culture. Although it isn't hard to look at stories in our newspapers and our newsfeed and social media and in uh, highlighted and shows and others of people who's, who are driven by the desire just to acquire more, 
And it isn't just the greed, it's what the, the, the sense of, if only I had more, I can live the life of luxury. There are other avenues in which we could also develop an us and them culture, even more dramatic. Now, I couldn't picture the actual movie, and I wasn't going to waste an hour of my life last night trying to find a clip to show you. But there's a good number of uh, adventure shows, you know, um, Indiana Jones and the, the, uh, the Lost Ark, I've forgotten the full title, all those types of movies, very similar ones in uh, Lord of the Rings, where you see those who are so consumed by the desire for, for wealth and for power and for control that even when they know that they're at a moment where if they continue to hold on to whatever their treasure is that they've found, they will die. And you know in the drama of the moment, they still cannot allow themselves to release it. And so they meet their doom in whatever spectacular way occurs in that particular movie. We can look at those storylines. That is the easy way to read a passage like this and say, well, we wouldn't be in that sort of space. The more challenging way, and I know we're all in this space and certainly I've been working, walking through it myself, is more the insidious, smaller decisions, smaller understandings that we have. When it comes to um, the love of money, Scripture is clear and we find it expressed in very uh, realistic and candid terms. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. So the writer to Ecclesiastes, or sorry, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, and I'm pretty sure we don't argue with that. We know the stories of those who have won the lotto or the betcha, whatever it is, and have come into enormous wealth and have invested in all their hopes and sit down and still have a sense of emptiness. It doesn't deliver in that same sort of way. But the challenge for us is to move beyond that sense of uh, more and more and more just to how everything we have we receive from God. So Paul's focus comes in a command. Paul is passionate about this, not in a strong sense of, of uh, you should do this in otherwise, but because Paul has known from his own experience that the only way to find contentment is not to have a sense that we can gain it and make it for ourselves. That brings anxiety. It is actually to bring it into the context of a relationship with a loving God who will provide what we need. Godliness with contentment, that is where great gain is to be found. That was actually quite a big debate amongst the philosophers of Paul's day. And their, uh, their, their, um, their line, their narrative was the only way you could be safe is to retreat into yourself, that which no one can take away from you, your ability to respond to things. But that ends up being a very lonely place. Paul says, no, there's a, it's a better space to be when we recognise that there's a loving heavenly God out there. And in our relationship with God, there we find contentment and we can find release from that anxiety. You see, the more we gain for ourselves, whether it is our wealth and financial security and property and uh, all those different types of things, 
the more we realise we cannot hold on to it. And it can be taken away from us. It could be world events, it could be floods, it can be bushfires. We are not nearly as robust as we thought we were even a couple of decades ago. So Paul puts it in this beautifully blunt way. After all, he says, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. When we were born, it was just us, nothing more. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. There's a cartoon, I was going to bring at this point, but I was getting a little bit crowded with our cartoons. But it's a picture of a hearse, and behind the hearse is a U-Haul trailer, you know, storage trailer. And uh, a pastor's commenting, saying, seems that Harry wasn't listening to those sermons about, you can't take it with you. (laughs) We know it is the case. But Paul says, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content, because God does provide that. There is a, a famous line in the Harris family that goes back to our daughter Jess. Many of you remember Jess, in fact, at a... Um, some stage in the near future I'm going to ask Jess to come and preach she's actually developed a great gift of preaching she preached to us as a 14 year old when we were on our trip over to the UK for about four months and we we're on a strict budget you know we have a certain amount that you can spend each day and if you spend too much at the start of your trip you're going to have nothing towards the end to, to live off so as we went into the supermarkets to, to choose our food for each day Jess would have this line that she just came up with she would say do we need it? Or do we just want it? As soon as Jess said that line, whatever we had in our hand went back on the shelf. It was a good discipline for us to learn. There is an enormous difference between what we need and what we want. And Paul was actually touching on, let God take care of our needs. And that does vary enormously from different people in different circumstances. But there we can take a deep breath and rest in God's eye over us, like that song we just heard, that a cappella version um, of this group by called Eclipse Six, by the way. They, they, his eye is on, like us, over us like us on a sparrow. He knows what we need. Isn't it remarkable that in the Western world, with all our provision and all our wealth, we are spiritually impoverished. We're spiritually impoverished as a community. We are spiritually impoverished within our churches. This photo is taken from one of the poorest countries in earth, in Niger. Yet there is an exuberance. There is a joy. There's a sense of thankfulness and a praise of God because they know what it is to seek each day's daily bread and to be thankful when it comes. They know that they cannot create their own empires and their worlds and they provide that security. They are recognising our frailty as humans before God. Yet there is such vibrancy and energy in the church. The church is growing in these parts of the world. They are sending missionaries back to us. So where do we go with this in terms of our own reflections? The parable tells us that we have responsibilities for those around us. Two great commandments, Jesus said. It's not rocket science. Love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And love 
not yourself. Love your neighbour as yourselves. So in this parable Jesus tells, it's one of a series he has, talks about the foolishness of living for yourself, living out of self-interest, living in terms of building your own barns and trying to stock up as much as you have. So here we have a nameless rich man who ignores the named beggar on his doorstep, Lazarus, with his sores. And when the death comes to both of them, there is a great reversal and a great chasm emerges. Now, we shouldn't press the imagery too far. It's a parable. But the imagery is of what C.S. Lewis describes as the great divorce, the separation that occurs. Because if you choose one pathway of life that is towards God, you will be releasing that which is otherwise going to hold us back. Or if we choose a pathway of life of ourselves, which turns our back on God and how God tells us to live rightly, that is where we'll end up. And so it occurred to the rich man. And he cries out, how can you at least warn my brothers about this great chasm? And Abraham speaks from the other side of the chasm and said, they've had the law and the prophets. We've all had that and heard it. The problem isn't that no one has been saying it. The problem is that people were not listening. So we bring that into our own context. Paul summarises it this way. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, of course, there are some spectacular versions of that in the social media, in the, so, in the world of people's uh, empire building, it has come crumbling down. <clears throat> but we need to hear it ourselves and to sit with that. The temptation and the trap, just to focus on, if only, if only I had this and we could have that. It is also a trap, I have to say, and the treasurer can close his ears for a moment, it's a trap for us as a church. If we were to think if only we had this and we only we had that and only we had this, then all will be well for us as a church. Now they may be all good, and I believe they are good and right things for us to explore and to, for a mission, ministry and mission things. But they're not the solution in the end. The solution is our looking to God's provision. And sometimes the answer for that is God calling others or calling ourselves and us to be part of the solution, to respond. Now, when it comes to our life as a church at St. Matthew's, St. Matthew's has always been close to that break-in, even just below line for the 25 years that I've been known there. And that's where we are at the present time. We can have an appeal, and we will be doing it in recent weeks, we need to increase our general giving. To give you the the reality, just at this stage, just so I can name it, is our when we have capital expenditure for particular events, the renovation of the rectory, to do the kitchen, to do the courtyard, we often get a good response to that and we are very thankful for those capital expenditure. But there seems to be a reluctance to give in our general plate week by week so that the running costs of the church often are not in that space where we can develop the nurture the ministry that we need and that's where we are at the present time our running costs are, are falling behind 
we do recognise that it's not money in and of itself that is the issue. It is the love of money that becomes the root of all kinds of evil. Money in and of itself can be a provision of God. We can be desire to be entrepreneurial with our money in the sense of how can we put it to good use, good purpose. And that's where Paul gives us the clear direction. Paul says, command them, those who have wealth, to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way. And in this way will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Everything we have, we have received from God. Life itself, our capacity to, to be at work, to plan, to create, to instigate things, to, uh, to cultivate, to be entrepreneurial, all that capacity has come from God. It's not just one little slice that we give of God out of what we have. We'll see in a few weeks' time when we come to the the uh, Jesus observation of the widow who gives the widow's might. Everything we have we bring before God and ask, how can I use what you have entrusted me with in a way in which we are investing in the work of the kingdom of God, both personally and as a church? Now, I want to speak to you honestly at this space, and I'll just touch on it now, and I'll do it for uh, in coming weeks, so... Um, this isn't just coming out of, a, um, out of nowhere. I do believe that we can continue to exist as we are as a church and as the flourishing and the things that are happening as we can see when we just have some appeals from time to time to keep us up on the right side of that line. We will not be able to develop children's and youth and family ministry. We will not be able to develop a missional music ministry that gathers people from all directions unless we see support in our general giving. Because there we can begin to fund and bring others into our team who we can ask to focus and dedicate themselves to those tasks. So there will be more about that in coming weeks, not because we have a pressing need, although we do, but more because we have a desire and a passion to be about this mission and ministry with what we believe we are called to do. Do I find this a challenging sermon? Personally, yes, and I'm sure we all do. But more to the point, are we focusing our hearts and our desires on God and what God has, has done, is doing in our life and in and through our life as a church? I don't have qualms at this stage because I know the history of St Matthew's going back 174 years. I know the recent history of St Matthew's going back the last two or three decades. There are generous people in our midst. The spirit and the culture here is one of generosity. We don't give thoughtlessly. We don't give to anything and everything. But where needs and opportunities are raised, I know it is well heard. So I'm confident that you sit with me as we hear these words. Reminded the problem isn't so much the wisdom, it's our willingness to hear and respond in ways which honour and bring pleasure to God. Amen.